This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The next time the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Hey, everybody, Matt Bagley with you. Scoop Duck in Hi Fi. Jay Hop on the phone line today as we uh, keep coping with the new normal here. <laughs> um, lot to get to, lot to tell you about. We had a set of notes in store for yesterday to tape the podcast. And then something big broke. Justin had to write about it and make that the emphasis on Scoop Duck, and I don't blame him. I thought it was awesome. Uh, let's start there. The Ducks added a weapon to that quarterback room. Yes, a much-needed weapon. Um, I don't want to say it's a double-edged sword, but, I mean, if you're going to ultimately I have no problem with Oregon banking on Tyler Shuck being the guy. I think he's the guy. He's clearly got the moxie. I know it was a limited spring ball, but but everything I hear, all the chatter, everything points to Tyler Shuck being the starter, starter this upcoming season that we assume we're going to play, and nothing has changed even with the addition of Anthony Brown. Now, the biggest problem in that room was what was behind Tyler Shuck, and it's not an indictment of those players but you're talking about Millen who hasn't had enough time because he's been injured. He's still fairly young to develop and get ready. Um, you did get Jay Butterfield on campus who you did sign as a freshman in this last class, but unfortunately there were only spring uh, four spring football practices for him to go through, and you don't even have Robbie Ashford on, on campus yet. So something I wrote about on Scoop Duck, which I just posted before we started this, is, you know, hey, w- when it comes to filling holes on roster – it's not necessarily a one-year thing. You know, Oregon had Justin Herbert for four years, and ultimately in that four-year span only signed Tyler Shuck and Kale Millen. And there's nothing wrong with either of them, but you left a little bit of an emptiness there after Justin Herbert is left. That happens a lot of times. Just uh, Mario Cristobal continues to fill holes on his roster that weren't necessarily there when he signed, took the job, but here we are, a bunch of juniors and seniors have left in the last year or two, and recruiting wasn't very good leading up to that point, so there's holes. Quarterback's one of those holes still. I think you think you bring Anthony Brown in. Anything should happen to Tyler Shuck. You now have somebody that can continue to lead your football team um, and, and help you win football games. I'm not sure that Oregon had that uh, behind Tyler Shuck, uh, at least not before Anthony Brown showed up. So uh, there's a couple points of emphasis here because I know people all across the country are, are pointing fingers about this move. You feel like he's a backup. Yeah, I do. Um, I guess there's a couple ways to look at this. Do On the surface, looking objectively, I fully believe he's the backup. I know that Tyler Shuck was very much involved in this process of, hey, you know, we think we need to bring in a guy. What do you think? Here's why. And was very much in, involved in those conversations with the coaches. Ultimately, it's Mario Cristobal's call at the end of the day. But I don't believe that, you know, he was wanting to do anything that would put them in jeopardy losing Shuck because that's, that, ultimately that's the key. Um, 
I do believe that Anthony Brown as a player, you know, a lot of players have confidence in themselves and, and you know, I think he's kind of uh, banking on himself. He's coming to Oregon to be the transfer or the backup, excuse me. Probably not. You know, in his mind, he thinks, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to show up. I'm going to compete. I'm going to do my best and, and we'll see where the chips fall. I believe he has that mindset and that's the right mindset to have. But looking objectively at it, I do believe that this is Tyler Shuck's job to lose. But overall, Anthony Brown's going to push Tyler Shuck. He makes that room better. He makes the younger guys better. All of this is better for Oregon. And I think this is a very veteran move by Mario Cristobal. You know, I know he's fairly young, at least in his head coaching career. But this is a very veteran move that you, you know, you get four or five or six games into, into the season and all of a sudden you lose Tyler Shuck and you have to look down the line and, and it's Millen or, or Ashford or Butterfield or whoever, you're not very confident there, and I get that. I understand that at this point. You look at that, at that room now and it's Anthony Brown, you think, okay, here's a guy who's played at the high level for three years, has been a starter, knows what he's doing. I feel a lot better about this situation. I just think it's a veteran move that ultimately reduces risk. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's a smart move by Mario to shore up that room just in case. Uh, the other takeaway I have from listening to you, my friend, is you barely mentioned coronavirus. I wonder if we're in a normal college football world where you have spring practices, you have your spring game, and you don't have all of the restriction and all of the fear that we have right now. Do the Ducks make this move? Do you think this this is something they would have done or, or something that they're only doing because of what's going on right now? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, they'd entertained a couple of quarterback transfers um, that, that went elsewhere. First of all, they liked Utah State's Jordan Love, who elected to go in the NFL draft. Right. Not a bad choice for him, no. but that's a guy Oregon would have liked to have had as well. Uh, you had Wake Forest. Uh, Jamie Newman, he was a transfer on the market. Oregon, you know, really pushed there and, and, and talked to him. He ultimately he got offered kind of late in the process by Georgia. It kind of became a no-brainer for him. You know, no, 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 no sweat. I don't think they were ever dead set on we have to get a quarterback transfer, but I do believe that if it was the right guy that came along, they really wanted to get one. And they really, you know, those other guys – yeah, they would have come in and definitely pushed a little bit more for a starting job. And, and this is not an indictment of Anthony Brown. He very well could. Um, you know, he's got a lot of a great skill set. He, he can run the ball. He's a great thrower, protects the ball. I think he's a great fit for a, for a Joe Moorhead offense. But I do believe, you know, the coronavirus had no impact on, on, on this decision. I think this was something that was either way, but it had to be the right guy. And, and I think with Anthony Brown – Maybe you don't have the skill set that a, a Jordan Love uh, might have had, but I know that when he visited and got to meet some of the players, because he came in March and visited, it was it was fairly hush hush at the time. Okay. Uh, you know, he he bonded really well with the players. I know him and Tyler Shuck got along very well, and that was a big element to it was his personality and just kind of the way he handled himself. And I think overall, he really won over the staff with being able to come in and show that he's confident but also be humble enough to know that he needs to come in and compete and get along with these guys and earn their trust. And, uh, again, 
this does nothing but just shore up that room for Oregon. And, and it ultimately, at the end of the day, the quarterback room is your most important room that you have as a, as a head football coach. So I would imagine that, uh, again, I'm not going to follow everything up with assuming we play this, this fall. I'm just going to make that assumption now and, and continue to act that way. Right. But assuming that we play this fall, I think Mario Cristobal is going to head into uh, his fall camp whenever that might be a whole lot, feeling a whole lot better about this room with Anthony Brown out there. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like um, I mean we we, we got to be honest with people. There is a lot of doom and gloom out there, and and I don't doubt uh, the doom and gloom because I know where it's coming from. I know that there are people that are plugged in that talk to the coaches, and the coaches are really concerned. So I I respect all of that, but I don't want to be that way for the next six months. Um, one more question on Anthony Brown. Uh, obviously, this staff likes him. And I know you have a lot of connections to that staff. What do you think they liked most about him? You there? Sorry about that. I, I, I sorry, I lost you for a second. Oh, oh, oh sorry. Um, it's okay. It, this is this is the new normal with the uh, remote studio and everything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you liked, uh, or excuse me, my brain is now with me. Okay, I got to warm my mind up. Fire this question off. Uh, the coaches obviously like what Brown can bring them, and I know you are are well connected to that staff. What do you think they liked the most about Anthony Brown? You know, I mean, first and foremost, I've got to say the fact that that uh, an experienced starter for depth is 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 clearly number one. Um, secondly, I do you know as I mentioned just a minute ago. You know, his personality, the way he blended with the current players, you, you want your quarterback to have confidence but not be cocky. And and I think Oregon's been bit a little bit there in the past with some graduate transfers that have come in. Um, and Anthony Brown did a good job there. I think what you what you got here is you've got a guy in Anthony Brown that has really high upside, uh, has great physical traits, who has potential to maybe get himself into the NFL, although that's a long ways to go at this point. You've got a guy with just a ton of sight and experience. I think it's the fact that he probably can utilize his legs so well. And I think what we've heard is that, you know, Joe Moorhead probably wants to run the quarterback a little bit more than we've seen. Now, it doesn't mean it's a 50-50 split. You're going to see him, you know, throw one and run one. That's not what it's going to be. But I think you feel a lot better going into the season knowing that, hey, you run Tyler Shuck a little more and he gets hurt. You, you know, not severe or severe or whatever, we got a guy. Or, hey, we can put in special packages for Anthony Brown, kind of as the runner, and leave Tyler Shuck not to take those hits. That's also an added bonus. So I, I don't want to say it's because of his running ability, not solely because of that, but I think the fact that you add a capable body that can do that, and again, if you do get hurt, maybe it's for a quarter, maybe your quarterback gets injured for a game, whatever, you now have somebody else that can come in and either run the offense or at least run the football for you. That extra threat as a running quarterback just really opens up not only this offense but any offense, and I think that's certainly valuable to Oregon. Wow, I'm just grinning thinking about this idea. So I know that we're dealing with uncharted territory right now in the world, a lot of, lot of bad things going on, but if you could tell Duck fans a year ago, Marcus Arroyo will be gone. You'll replace him with a head coach of a Power 5 program. And you bring in a quarterback who 
is going to run the ball more than your quarterbacks have ran in the last couple of years. I think Duck fans are over the moon at that idea. Yeah, I mean, uh, the biggest loss on offense right now is just the, 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 the overall talent and experience of the offensive line. I think you've upgraded at the offensive coordinator position, and it's not a, a, a full slight on Marcus Arroyo. I do believe in his offense, but I think there's an innate ability by Joe Moorhead to orchestrate the offense a little bit better, meaning you know, his play calls might be a little more consistent or he might be a little more creative at the right times. I think that was only – I think that was Marcus Arroyo's biggest criticism is the fact that you know, there were certain times where he would probably make a play call and we're all sitting there going, well, you know, Oregon's going to run up the middle, and they would, would get fairly predictable. I think Joe Moorhead will do a little better there. But, yeah, I mean, you're adding, yeah, you're going you're gonna to take away Justin Herbert. Nobody wants to see Justin Herbert go, but you know his time was up. If you're looking at Tyler Shuck, I think he's the guy. I think he's going to be great. And now you've added a graduate transfer to boot, which I believe is the total right move. And now if you're going to be able to run those quarterbacks just a little bit more to open up the offense, I don't think anybody was saying, hey, push the panic button. We've got to totally re-overhaul this entire offense. But, yeah, some tweaks needed to be made, and I think the right ones got made. And uh, ultimately, um, Oregon is probably in the best position they could be, all things considered, moving forward, at least offensively. We already know they're going to kick ass on defense. Right, right. And, uh, I mean, let's let's turn there because I've, I've read a couple outlooks where – uh, some national writers are trying to come up with a, a either a way too early top 25 or a power ranking or just an idea of how next season could go. And I've heard some people say they think that defense takes a step down. Now, I agree with you. This defense is going to rock. But why do you believe that? Uh, you're just ter- returning too many pieces, too many key pieces. I mean, l- let's face it, Kayvon Thibodeau's only going to get better. Uh, you're scratching the surface there. You basically you don't lose much at the defensive line. You do lose Troy Dye, who you know was a tackling machine, but you've got some really, 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 really good linebackers already on the roster and a couple of gangbusters coming in. Y- y- you know, I just don't know that the step down is going to be that significant. Uh, I think the biggest key, though, of all of it is you return Andy Avalos and, and yeah. you get him back for a second year. You know, I do believe he is a guy that is going to be considered for, you know, some Power Five head coaching jobs. I think his name was thrown around a little bit this year. It'll be thrown around a lot more next year. Um, I, I think statistically, Oregon can improve in their pass defense. I think that's where they were weakest last year. We've heard Mario Cristobal talk about that. Um, you know, there, there have been some changes to the cornerback coach. It's Rod Chance there in place of Dante Williams. Maybe he can, right. you know, coach these guys a little bit better in that regard. And, again, you can't expect this defense to take a major step forward because there isn't that much room to take a step forward. But you can expect them to be at least as good and probably make some key tweaks in their defense this year. Making, I mean, it's just it's. I mean, it's a filthy defense. They do such a good job of scheming and and just moving things around and kind of making you guess at what they want to do. Um, I just think a second year of that communication, a second year of Andy Avalos being op- able to open up his playbook, they're going to be that much more dangerous. Yeah, you mentioned Coach Avalos. I was probably the, uh, the chapter president of the Andy Avalos will be an outstanding Power 5 head coach club. <laughs> and then um, 
when we interviewed him, this is what, I think two months ago, uh, feels like a, a two decades ago, the way everything's worked. But when we interviewed him, I, I remember listening to you and Andy riffing off air as we were prepping him and getting him ready and hearing him talk about fishing and school for his daughters and, and what he likes to do in Eugene, I kind of turned over to your side that he he might be a, uh, a pretty long-term D.C. for the Ducks. Um, that potential exists, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think this, I, I think when it comes to Andy Avalos, I think you will hear his name attached to a lot of jobs that become available um, every year. But I think he's a pretty smart guy, and he's going to wait for the right opportunity. I, 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 and this is not a slight on UNLV or Marcus Arroyo, but I think that was a good move for Marcus Arroyo. I think Andy Avalos probably has his sights set on something a little bit bigger than that. Um, it doesn't mean he's leaving Oregon as a defensive coordinator to take the head coaching job of Texas. I think that's a pretty sizable jump. But I, I think he's going to look for the right move, the right school, um, be very calculated uh, with what he does in his career. So, um, yeah, you'll hear his name a lot. But, again, I, I think there is a lot of attraction for him to stay as a defensive coordinator because we know he's a guy who loves to coach ball. And, and let's face it, you get to coach a lot more ball as a coordinator than you do as a head coach. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest draw that keeps him at Oregon versus, say, you mentioned how Arroyo went to UNLV. Uh, where does the D.C. job at Oregon beat a head coaching job like that? Well, uh, I mean, you gotta, obviously you've got to look at what Oregon's doing. If they can continue to establish this pattern of success, you know, you won a conference championship, you run a Rose Bowl, all those things. If you continue to trend up and, and, and stay among the elite, you know, that's going to be a major attraction in itself. That's very good boost for any coach's career to be on a winning staff. Um, you know, secondly, I, I believe that Mario Cristobal is very hands-off when it comes to the defense. I think Andy Avalos has, you know, basically full control of the defense to call it and run it and, and see it how he, how he wants. And, you know, of course, he does have to have Coach Cristobal's blessing, but I don't think there's a lot of tinkering that goes on daily there. That's a major attraction, too, to kind of be able to do, to do your own thing. Um, you got a great staff. As long as you continue to recruit well, you're going to be bringing in talent. There's just so many things that, that, you know, are lined up really well for him to stay at Oregon and be a very successful defensive coordinator for, you know, I guess almost as long as he'd like to. So well along the defensive line in the secondary and at linebacker, you've got all three groups covered this defense can be very good for a long time, and I, I just don't see, I, I don't see that as 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 looking at it with green and yellow uh, sunglasses on. That just to me looks like a rational take. Yeah, yeah. For the folks listening at home, I, I love that figure of speech. Joey Mack uses that term all the time, but the difference between Joey and J Hop is I've never seen J Hop actually wear green and yellow glasses. Do Do you have? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't wear glasses much, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think that pretty much does a good job tackling the, the team as it is right now. I know one thing that every week when we talk, I'm constantly blown away by the work being put in for future years. Uh, are, are you surprised by the attention that's being paid to 2021 and, and future recruiting? 
Uh, no, I mean, if you, you know, if you're not moving forward and you're, and you're just standing still, you're going to get passed by by somebody. And I, and I think Mario Cristobal fully believes that. So, you know, I, I believe the staff is, is, is doing a tremendous job, uh, you know, recruiting. And, you know, does that mean, I know one of the ways that we measure it, and I mean we as, as people that cover it as media and, and the fans, is we measure it by how many edits they're sending out. Well, that's just one phase of what's going on. There's phone calls to, you know, to parents, to, to, to coaches. There's, you know, text messages. There's all these things. And I know Oregon has continued with the with the uh, pedal all the way down, um, you know, recruiting. And, you know, right now, 2021, you're off to a great start. Oregon did lose an offensive line commit in Josh Simmons this week, uh, but they're still the top-ranked class in the Pac-12 by a significant margin. Um, if there's one position group I'm not going to worry about, it, it's definitely offensive line. You know, I think Oregon's going to be fine there. Um, Josh Simmons is a great player uh, out of California, out of Helix, out of San Diego had mentioned that he wanted to open things up and, and look at other programs. But, you know, Oregon's going to be fine when it comes to offensive line and whether that means he's a part of it or not. Um, yeah, you just you got to keep it down, and I guess that's the thing. You know, there are a lot of coaching staffs, I think, out there that um, I don't want to say they're taking a vacation, but they're definitely probably taking things fairly lightly. I don't, I, and that's not the case for Oregon. I know Mario Cristobal is spending his days on the phone um, you know, with his coaching staff, with his players, with recruits, with recruits, parents, with, with, uh, high school coaches, everything he can to kind of keep Oregon at the forefront. Um, and I know most of his assistants are doing much of the same. So just because we can't see it doesn't mean that they're not really doing it. I know things are different now. It's really weird for me. It's really hard to sit here and, and come up with, you know, tangible, um, uh, things to talk about every day and not have it deviate into coronavirus talk or, you know, things like that, but uh, that's just where we are in the sports world today, and uh, we just, uh, I guess we just kind of fight through it, just yeah. like the coaches are doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 21 days till the draft. Are, are you excited about that? I am, yeah. Nice little, I mean, obviously that's not a live sport event, but it is, it is sports, you know. It's going to be an opportunity for a lot of fans of schools to see players drafted, uh, you know, fans of NFL teams to be excited about the future of, of their franchise. Um, I, I'm really excited because I think Oregon's got a pretty special. This is, in my opinion, this is the missing component for Mario Cristobal to take that next step to move yeah. forward. Yeah. You, 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 you recruit, you develop, you strength train, you win games, you do all those things. But once you become, and I'm gonna just going to say, once you kind of become Nick Saban, an NFL factory that's when you can really kind of push into to that elite, that next level stratosphere. That's what Oregon needs is to continue to develop guys and get them ready to play in the NFL and get them drafted early and often. So you got a pretty special chance to see, obviously, Justin Herbert go in the first round, but then you've got a number of offensive linemen that could go. You know, you've got uh, Troy Dye looking to land on a roster somewhere, hopefully at linebacker. You know, you've got some guys that get drafted, and whether – you know, whether it's first round, second round, fourth round, whatever, at the end of it, if you can go and say, hey, Oregon had six players drafted or seven players or five players, you know, that's a really valuable selling tool for Mario Cristobal on the recruiting trail. You're obviously going to be able to back that up next year with Panay Sewell going into the end of the NFL draft in the first year. Yes. I realize he's just a junior and I'm saying that, but I'm going to stick with that because I don't think he's coming back for that last year. Yeah. Um, and you've got potential you know next year to see cj burdell also kind of work his way into you know maybe some considerations as a junior 
you know, you'll have uh, Thomas Graham and Diamondor Lenore obviously going into the draft, you know, Jordan Scott, and again, potential with Javon Holland to do that early as a junior um, as well. So I think if this can be that springboard, that big year, Oregon can do it again next year with a lot of guys. Man, that's that. I mean, honestly, that's just the last piece missing from Mario Cristobal to really kind of finish taking this thing over. Yeah, it's it's easy to get excited about the future because I think there's a chance this year, obviously with Herbert, but um, the next two years when you've got Panay and and potentially Kayvon, um, right. I I think you could see either three years where the Ducks have a guy in the top five or at least three years where the Ducks have a guy in the top ten. I think that's how good those two are. But uh, when you when you and think about Herbert – oh, sorry. Sorry, I cut you off No, there. well, and I mean – and honestly, that should be the expectations of fans for players like that. If you're going to go and sign players that are that caliber of, you know, a Kayvon Thibodeau or like, for instance, a Noah Sewell or, or a Justin Flo or a Panay Sewell – the expectation is, hey, man, if we can get three good years out of these guys, they're going to leave our program in better shape. You know what I mean? Sure, you'd love to get that fourth year. Everybody would love to get that fourth year of Panay Sewell, but let's be realistic. If you can get three good years out of Sewell or Thibodeau, those guys of that caliber, your your program is recruiting at a level that can be that can start to sustain itself with those types of players coming in behind it. And that's when you kind of that's when you reach that next elite level, and and Oregon's just kind of like like poking their finger through the clouds, like, hey, we're coming up there, let us up, and it's it, it's close, but they're just not quite there yet. Yeah, yeah, I I see it, and so I'm I'm happy you see it. I I, I think fans should see that as well. Ducks uh, next step to building that Bama of the West is you become like what you said, a draft factory. Um. Where would you like to see Justin Herbert land? Good question. You know, I definitely don't follow the NFL like I do college football. I mean, I could I could name off. I, I've seen him, obviously. Well, okay, I, I, I can go with the obvious. It would be tremendous to see him land with the Patriots. And I don't care if you hate the Patriots or not. Right. That just They're obviously set up for success, and, and why not give him an opportunity to go play somewhere and be successful? One of the hardest things that I think I've watched as as someone that follows the Ducks is watching, you know, Joey Harrington go into the draft and just get absolutely smashed for years. Right. Uh, I think he led led the league in sacks like his first three years. That, you know, that takes its toll on a quarterback. You know, I, I, I don't care who they are, how good they are. That definitely takes its toll on a quarterback. You know, I think Marcus Mariota, you know, the Titan years were, were pretty rocky. They were up and down and just no stability there as a franchise at all. Obviously, they did have success, you know, the second half of this year, and that's great, but it really wasn't a great ride for Marcus Mariota coming into the league and then to where things – I think he got, I think he's going to have a tremendous opportunity with the Raiders. Um, I think it's a great fit for him, and I think it's great. So, you know, for me, I'd love to see Justin Herbert going into a situation where – I don't think he's a guy that needs to be thrust – into a starting role, although I'm not sure he's going to get that luxury. But if he can go to a, a franchise that does value the quarterback, that does protect the quarterback, um, and needs, you know, maybe needs a quarterback, maybe not this year, but in, in, a, in a couple years or a year or two. I mean, the Saints would be another one. That'd be a mm. tremendous offense for him. Yeah, you know, go and I know they don't have the pick, and I get all that, but go somewhere where you can sit behind a Drew Brees for a year or two, and, and we know Drew Drew's not going to stay in the league for that much longer. You know, go go to an opportunity like that where you can learn from somebody that really, you know, knows the game and can teach you. Uh, absolutely invaluable. So, 
I think there's a number of great spots. I mean, I've even heard Herbert's name linked to the Raiders. I'm sure you would know, yeah. you know, way more about that than I would. Doesn't seem to make a ton of sense given that they just signed Mariota, but it's it is the Raiders. So yeah. who knows? <laughs> yeah. I, when it comes to the draft, don't ever put a uh, don't ever take anything for granted with that team. They're they're just yeah. crazy with what they do. Last I, year's a great example. I, I don't think I want him to go to the Texans. It sure seems like Bill O'Brien would figure out a way to screw that one up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, hey, maybe if he goes to the Texans, O'Brien trades him for a couple magic beans and he ends up a Patriot. Yeah, right. Huh? Somebody else's seventh-round pick or something and some yeah. money. But but you mentioned <laughs> my Raiders, and, and I'm not going to turn this into Matt Bagley's Raider moment, but I think it is really telling the, the reason that I understand that he is linked to Las Vegas – is because even though they might not need a quarterback there, you have Carr and you have Marcus, and I think those guys are going to duel for the starting job, and and they have a couple backups in place that they like. Um, With Herbert, there are some NFL teams, and, and John Gruden and the Raiders, I think, are one of those teams, that are going to look at his skill set, especially after the Rose Bowl game where he has those three rushing touchdowns, and they are going to say, he is our kind of quarterback. Now, right. I don't know if, if that's enough for the Raiders because, again, they don't need at that position, and they are one of those teams that draft based on need rather than who's the best guy on the board. Um, but it's obvious he's going to be the number one QB on the board for a lot of teams. Yeah. Well, and at some point, you know, let's face it, we don't know how the draft's going to play out, but at some point Herbert becomes a value pick. You know, if he starts sliding down and you see him get to 10 or 12 – you know, possibly he shouldn't, but it possibly could happen. You never know. Um, you know, you, you just never know with Jordan Love out there and, and Tua out there and, and Burrow out there. That's a lot of quarterbacks for everybody to be taking, you know, in the top 10 picks. But again, at some point he becomes a value pick. And you think, okay, well, gosh, here we are at, at, at 13, 14, 15, whatever. And Justin Herbert's out there. You know, maybe we got to take him. Maybe you trade up for him. I don't know the Raiders pick uh, pick is at this year, but again, you know, somebody might move up or the Raiders might move up, for instance, and, and, and you know, take him and, and you can stash him for a year or two. Given the, but, again, I think what, what did the Raiders only sign Mariota for two years, right? Right, right. It's a, yeah. it, it's a two-year deal, and I think it, that deal is he's not going to be a backup forever. He doesn't want to be a backup sure. forever, so you're only going to get him for those two years. And then if he's the starter, like if, if if Marcus wins that job, the first thing they'll do is they'll restructure that contract. Of course, absolutely. And I, and Carr doesn't have much left on his contract if this is the last no. year or not. So yeah, I think this yeah. is the last year that he's on the cap. So you got a couple guys that could come off in a year or two, and that gives Herbert time to grow. That's right. a great situation. But yeah, you just you just never know. Um, you know, Herbert's interesting. What the, the ones that are really interesting to me is, is like a Shane Lemieux and a, and a Calvin Throckmorton, you know, where they end up in the draft this year. It seems right. as though they're all over the board. Um, I think Shane Lemieux has a little bit better of an NFL body as a guard, just the way he plays. I think he could be a real value guy for like the, the Patriots, for example. They love those, you know, kind of road grader interior linemen like a Shane Lemieux. I think he could fit in well there. Um, but yeah, so it's just it's going to be a fun NFL draft. It's going to be a nice nice break from, you know, what we've been going through for our sports withdrawals, I guess if you will. I was watching freaking cornhole the other night. I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> Twelve o'clock at night, and I'm like, man, they're playing cornhole. What the heck is going on? Right. But yeah. Uh I love that sport, man. I mean, 
you have it's you have to give it up to him. Anything where you can uh, play with a beer in your hand, that's bad oh, props. Yeah. Oh, I love Cornell. I love playing. I didn't realize it was a organized sport and they had their own league. And I guess yeah. I, you know, I mean, I knew there were beanbags out there that had the smooth side and, and the rougher side, you know, that for the people that were a lot more experienced than me, I know for me, when I'm playing cornhole, if I don't have a beer in my hand, something's off kilter. You know, I just don't throw it quite. I, I got to have that balancing act of a, of a beer can or a beer glass, but, uh, I mean, we were sitting there in bed watching it, and you know these guys are throwing it and and dropping, you know, four out of four every every time. I'm like, holy cow, these guys got it down. Yeah, yeah. That or uh, I, every now and then I'll catch myself watching darts. Those dart throwers are nuts. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, it's just it's just funny our sportsless world. What comes on the television anymore, <laughs> and what I find myself watching these days. Right. Uh, related to that, uh, there were a couple things I wanted to throw your way. Um, our friend Achilles Smith, duck legend, mm-hmm. played in the NFL. Uh, he had an idea on Twitter that kind of got me thinking because he was asking fans, hey, would you rather have Darren Thomas or Joey Harrington? And there were all sorts of people on, on both sides. To me, the bigger question is, let's start with who's your favorite duck quarterback ever? After Marcus, you mean? Oh, oh, yeah. I, yeah. I wasn't we'll even just, thinking. That's the obvious answer yeah, to the question. Yeah. So we'll exclude Marcus and Herbert for the sake of the conversation. Um, you know, I. It's probably going to seem really weird to a lot of fans, but I'd have to say, and, and of course, I, you know, I wasn't uh, wasn't following as closely back in the the '80s when I was, you know, four years old or five years old or whatever, but. Mm. For me, one of my favorites of the past, we, we always have the Dennis, the, the Dennis Dixon what-if scenario. If he didn't get hurt, Dennis Dixon's probably off to a potential Heisman campaign, in my opinion, with, with that offense and the way things are going. But yeah. one of the guys I just loved, and I just loved for so many, was Vernon Adams. I know he only played one year. He came in as a grad transfer, barely made it in uh, by the skin of his teeth, getting in with the uh, passing his math class. But, you know, injured here and there. But, man, just... You know, uh, he was, you know, five foot ten with his cleats on and, you know, not a big guy, but he just had that, you know, that flair and that moxie and, you know, really uh, the guys embraced him and he came in late and just, I I loved what we got out of Vernon Adams for that one year. I'm also a pretty big Jeremiah Mazzoli fan. I just, I love Mazzoli. I mean, it was, you know, it it was the the butter bean of, of quarterbacks. He just bowl over people or he or he heave a 50 yarder you just never knew what you're getting uh you know no disrespect to Achilles Smith but I wasn't front and center in his era so I know Achilles was a stud and did some tremendous things but uh those are a couple of my favorites probably I guess you could say from the 2000 uh, up era that I really enjoyed uh you know covering and following yeah yeah you mentioned Dennis that 07 team if he doesn't get hurt how far do they go I mean that's that was a pretty special team, and you could see that that offense was was really catching people, you know, off guard. Um, I I think yeah, Dennis Dixon always 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 becomes the 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 greatest what if yeah. you know scenario for me. And that injury, I, I just I mean the the Statue of Liberty play at Michigan, all that stuff. I mean just some tremendous moments. I I think. You know, Dennis Dixon. And, you know, Darren Thomas doesn't get enough love. I mean, I, I like what Darren Thomas did at Oregon. 
Uh, I think a, a lot of folks tend to kind of think, oh, you know, Darren, you know, wasn't a great quarterback. He was a really good quarterback. He protected the ball, ran the offense, uh, you know, very well. Um, didn't turn the ball over. Just, I, I don't think he gets enough credit, and probably, you know, even for me as well. But I mean, Darren Thomas was a was another tremendous quarterback that had a great career at Oregon. Um, it's just, it's funny to think about, you know, Oregon kind of is and always has been that, that quarterback you, if you will, with so many great names. And it's just crazy that they've struggled so much in the last five or six years with quarterback recruiting. And I say struggled, which I shouldn't because Justin Herbert showed up, you know, and it's going to be a first rounder. Right. But that was really literally almost kind of like a luck pickup, yes. you know, at the end of the recruit. It wasn't like, he, he you know, started we knew what we got. He started yeah. his walk-on. They hit the lottery. Just, yeah, I mean, they, 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 they really hit the lottery with, with Justin Herbert. That uh, was a pretty much a luck pick. And then, uh, you know, of course, uh, Marcus Mariota, a totally different situation. They, they, they did find and evaluate and, and offer him early in the cycle and realize what a special talent he was. But, uh, you know, other, other than that, it's been a, a string of, of really just a, a mixed bag of, of quarterback recruiting, which hopefully gets uh, – Hopefully gets righted by Joe Moorhead and then whoever eventually follows Coach Moorhead. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I know, too, that um, just in our conversations, it's pretty clear that you you might have argued, I, and I know you brought this up on the site a couple weeks back because uh, fans were saying, hey, you know, there's one way you guys could fill the time. You could just talk about some of the past stabs and you mentioned how you didn't want to do that because you didn't want to throw anybody under the bus and then you know kind of sour your rep with the current guys that we have but uh i know one thing that i can say pretty confidently for you is that you believe this staff cares more about recruiting that position and puts a little more oomph in that position than i think prior staffs yeah, I mean, you, you, you think, uh, you, I mean, you could just see it now. I mean, clearly Mario Cristobal's kind of identified that, hey, we, we, need, we need dudes in that room. We need guys that are, that are going to compete it out. Um, it's, it's a twofold scenario at this point. I think y- you don't want to get in the habit of taking more than one prep quarterback any year because, yes, eventually one will transfer. But let's face it, there are so many good ones that hit the grad transfer market almost every year now. Mm-hmm. You can reasonably risk that gamble you know you could take two guys and 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 if two years one of them moves on and and you're in need of a guy you can almost always find one in the grad transfer market now and then if they you know if they're going to go ahead and pass that immediately eligible rule that they're talking about passing that even makes it even easier as well you can you can get guys that aren't grad transfers so um i just i i think you go but we've seen just from the sheer numbers you know oregon has entertained grant transfers at quarterback they've taken two quarterbacks in the last recruiting cycle knowing they needed depth um i i I think from tyler you know oregon once again got reasonably lucky with tyler shuck committed to north carolina early in the process decided he didn't want to go that far from school oregon was one of the few schools out west that still needed a quarterback in that recruiting cycle and got pretty fortunate that uh you know they were able to land him so They've been lucky. I think it's now it's time to kind of erase the luck and just say, hey, we need to make sure we have guys in there, develop them, and, and make sure that you know we're able to secure bodies at that position. Uh, because Mario Cristobal knows as good as anybody that you can't win in the Pac-12 without really good quarterback play. You just can't. Yeah, yeah, I'm. I totally agree. So looking at my notes here, I feel like we've we've kind of run the gamut 
covered everything I wanted to cover. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, uh, not not in particular. I mean, we're I, I get the feeling, I get the sense that we're going to have at least three or four more weeks of 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 no sports or minimal sports for us to kind of continue going over things. So probably, um, you know, I, I guess from a the the two notes that I would have or add is that uh, you know Oregon basketball women's basketball did lose a guard in Holly Winterburn. Right. Uh, you know she elected to transfer. Not alarming news. I know she had the big game early on in the season last year, but struggled to get minutes later in the season. And then again, as we know, Five Star Graves reloaded and has uh, you know has a roster full of elite girls coming in. So. I think maybe the writing was on the wall there. I think it's a, a good move for both sides. Um, and, and then, you know, Sabrina Ionescu, once again, wins another award, but she's the Wade, Wade Trophy Player of the Year, um, along with the big three landing accolades there. So they continue to roll in. And like we talked about with Dennis Dixon being the biggest what-if uh, player, you know, having the biggest what-if career, I think uh, Oregon women's basketball is, is the next biggest what-if team no that doubt. Prob- probably <laughs> no doubt could have or should have or would have won you know I, I think that I, I I've said this with you before and I've said this on my show I think that Kelly Graves will win a title and I think that Oregon will win a title but until that happens that women's team which I I will go to my grave believing they would have blown everybody out they would have cut down the nets two more times everyone will just have a giant what if about that team Always. Yeah. Yeah, always. And I and I'm sure Coach Gray will even you know, he'll have his, his career record and always have an asterisk asterisk there on the on the twenty nineteen, twenty twenty season kind of yeah. as that, you know, what if season or that was my championship season. He 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 should he, he could and stood show still have one, but yeah, that that's gotta be one that stings a little bit if you're right. if you're a coach. Cause it, Cause it, it, I mean let's it took so long to get there, you know? <laughs> Well, it's it's not just that. It's as as great of a recruiter as he is, and and Mario came up with that nickname, said it on our podcast, and we've been running with that ever since. Five star graves, because it's true. It's all he ever signs. <laughs> as good of a recruiter as he is, you're never going to recruit another Sabrina Ionescu. She's one of one. Right. right. I mean, she's a yeah. She's a, a generational type of talent. It's yeah. just. And, and, and Oregon is very fortunate that they that they that they had Sabrina Nescu not only as a, as a player but for the four years, and she's really revolutionized the women's basketball game. That that's something that's pretty special to have come through your program, and not only be a, you know a player at your school, but to really kind of again that's I mean that's putting a sport on the map in a big big way. And I know there's been some tremendous women's basketball players that have come through and the WNBA has been around since Sabrina Inescu, you know, before she was born, but still she's uh, the way she pulled in, you know, so many people that, that were engaged, you know, Shea Serrano, Kobe Bryant, the list goes on and on. Um, that, that's a pretty generational type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Well, that, that pretty much covered all the bases that I have. Uh, how, how are you holding up over there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I seem to have consumed a uh, a shit ton of beer, and I keep <laughs> having to take the cans out from all the beer. I I noticed that seems to be a, a trending topic on tw- on Twitter as well. People having to self govern, 
not only how much they drink, but how early they start because they're at home all day. So yeah. I guess uh, I guess we live and learn and, and continue to go go uh, ride with the times. Um, you know, I've been fortunate to fare better fare better than uh, you know a lot of restaurants. I don't know about you, but a lot of restaurants that that tried to stay open and do delivery and takeout have since closed. Right. At least re, you know at least down here. And I get it. I understand the move, and I don't mean permanently close, but have said, hey, basically. You know, we weren't making enough money to to stay open and, and do delivery. We're gonna, you know, go ahead and shut her down. So it's just it's unfortunate because I worry about those operations opening back up. Yeah, it's tough because I understand the mindset that people are having. Like every time I go out, if I'm gonna go grab groceries, or uh, the other day I, I had to go refuel my car, and I'm thinking, will I look back on this? sitting on my deathbed three weeks from now with coronavirus, regretting going out for 30 bucks worth of groceries or, or going right. out for um, you know a fill-up on my car when I could have just bunkered down and stayed home. And I, I think a lot of people feel that way. Like, am I going to sit on my deathbed and regret going to my favorite restaurant and getting a pizza or getting a burger, you know? Right, right. No, I, I, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it's tough. I mean, obviously you want to limit your interaction, but at some point you still got to live a little bit of a life too, you know, yeah. uh, and I don't mean you, I mean all of us. And so, you know, where, where do you draw the line? I know people are all over the map on the topic of, you know, don't go out at all or, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm still gonna, still gonna do some things here and there, but you know, I mean, down here they, they close down table rock. You can't even hike that anymore. And, wow. and so, uh, yeah, I mean, there's other things to do, and we've been riding bikes more and more. But uh, like you said, uh, to start this, I guess we are living the new normal. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely definitely something different, not easy. Um, and then, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, anything you want to pump and promote about the site? No, I mean, other than just my appreciation, and I know I – I voiced it on there a few weeks back and, and, you know, our cancellations have been some, but it's definitely not been what I feared was going to happen because I understand economically a lot of people are being put in difficult positions and losing jobs and, 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 and wages cut and things of that nature. So I appreciate, you know, folks trying to continue to support me and us and what we're doing. And, and, uh, I mean, I, at the end of the day, I mean, as America, we're going to get through this sucker come out the other end and i just hopefully if nothing else it's kind of taught us a little bit, a bit about being appreciative of the simple things like being able to go out and grab a beer or pizza wherever we wanted or oh yeah you know ride our ride our bikes wherever we wanted to go or be at the park and it's just i think we'll come out stronger on the other end and and hopefully with a, a positive attitude yeah i was just saying this to a guest on my show the other night that um i don't go out by myself just because I'm, I'm kind of an introvert and when I'm with my fiance, we like to go out to eat all the time uh, before this, before this. We, we haven't gone out in a while. But um, whenever we would go out to eat, if there was a crowd, I would get really antsy and I'd want to go somewhere else. And, and now that's the kind of thing I'm never, ever going to be bothered by. I'm never going to worry about that anymore. Like if I go out and there's a crowd, I'm going to be so happy. Right. Yeah. There's people. I can <laughs> talk to people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, no doubt. Nope. I will definitely not take my Thursday night stroll out for beers for granted anymore. That's for sure. Mm. 
All right, man. Well, I implore everybody, uh, keep reading the site. There's some great stuff out there. And keep listening to the pod, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and honestly, any app that has a podcast, you can find us. Just search for Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Justin, let's do this again, man. Okay, yeah. uh, uh, Same bat time, same bat channel. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Go Ducks. Do this now.